Welcome. Hi. So lovely to be back and uh, to present you with this week's Parsha Share. The Parsha Share this week uh, is sponsored by Jay and Corrine Kaplan in memory of Jay's father, Victor E. Kaplan, Yitzchok Avigdor, Ben Binyom and Hakoyen, Zechrone Levrochos. Yatzeit is on the 26th of Av. And I know Jay is an avid listener to our share. And uh, Jay, just want to wish you Arichus Yomim, Hamesim, and uh, the Neshama should have an Aliyah. We're going to begin Parshas Ekev right at the beginning. And if you listen carefully, the word Ekev is going to be critical to this Parsha and to this share. Akev means if, but it, it has other meanings. If you listen to these laws, and you observe them and you do them, then God will maintain faithfully for you the covenant that He made, that He made an oath with your forefathers about. The bris that we know he made with Avraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov was repeated to Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu is now telling the Jewish people, and it's uh, soon going to be a goodbye for Moshe Rabbeinu. He's going to be dying. And he wants, as in, in his final few weeks, to tell the Jewish people that they must be careful. He's always been there. He's always had their back. Ever since they came out of Mitzrayim, he's no longer going to be there for them. And so he's giving them fair warning that if they don't follow the correct path, things are going to go wrong. And, the, and at least, at the very least, Hashem is not going to keep the covenant that he made with Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov. I'm going to look at the Mikdash Halevi, my grandfather's Sefer. Uh, he quotes Rashi. Rashi says as follows. If you listen, if you hear, if you take heed, im ha Kalois she Adam dosh be'akovov tishmun. You know that the word Akev also means heel. In fact, Yaakov Avinu was called Yaakov because he grabbed onto the heel of Esav. As Esav came out, they were twins, and therefore he was named Yaakov. That's where the word now here in this context, the literal meaning of the posseg is if you listen. Akev somehow means if. Don't ask me how, that's the way Hebrew works in this particular instance. But as you know, as I've said so many times, Hebrew is a language where the root words double up and triple up and quadruple up because there's very limited uh, uh, root words in classical Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew. And here the word ekev also means heel, which is the bottom of your foot. And people tend to tread things into the ground with their heel. They grind them into the ground. And mitzvois kalois, says Rashi. And the word kala in this context means less significant or insignificant. There are mitzvahs which are seemingly, as we're going to see, insignificant. And those are the mitzvahs that Hashem is telling you, Moshe Rabbeinu is telling you, that you have to take heed of, that you have to make sure that you observe if you want God to observe his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If those mitzvahs, the mishpatim, that you would tread into the ground, that you would take no notice of because you don't think they're that important, 
If those are the ones you take heed of, Now, says the Mikdash Halevi, we really need to explain, if the Posik is indeed talking about insignificant mitzvahs, Kefisha Kos of Rashi, that's what Rashi seems to be saying, why would it be that these insignificant mitzvahs are worthy of the incredible reward that's promised in the psukim that follow on from this first posuk? I'm going to read you those psukim. God will favor you and bless you and multiply you. He will bless your issue, your children from the womb and the produce of the soil. Your new grain and your wine, your oil, the carving of your herd, the lambing of your flock. In the land, that he swore to your ancestors that would be given to you. You will be blessed above all other peoples, all other nations. There shall be no sterile male among you, or sterile female among you, not even in your livestock. Hashem, God, will ward off every sickness from you. God will not bring upon you any of the dreadful diseases that took place in Egypt and that the Egyptians had, about which you know. But he'll flick them, inflict them upon your enemies and uh, he will make your enemies and all your enemies will fall into your hands. They will be, they will suffer. You won't suffer. I mean, incredible promises here for, in return for observing mitzvahs, which Rashi refers to as mitzvahs kalois, insignificant mitzvahs. Unbelievable. Who needs to keep significant mitzvahs? Let's keep a few insignificant mitzvahs and you see what Hashem promises us. Let's find the most insignificant mitzvah that we can keep. And here we have the promise of everything that anybody could ever want. It's quite incredible. First, let's, uh, let's just um, look at the Mishnah in Mesechus Ovis. It's empiric base. Um, it's Mishnah Aleph of the second chapter of Pirkei Avot. You must take care to observe a mitzvah kala, an insignificant mitzvah, just as much as one of great significance. Because you don't know what the reward is for any of the mitzvahs that you observe. You have no idea what Hashem has in store for you for any mitzvah that you observe. Therefore, you must treat them all equally. That's what the Mishnah seems to be saying. And in a way, it kind of hints at what I just said, which is don't ignore the insignificant ones because you don't know the matan schar of the insignificant mitzvah could be this great reward that's being promised here at the beginning of Parshas Ekev. But let's listen what the Rambam says. In Perish Mishnais, Maimonides says as follows. Unbelievable wording. 
the Rambam using wording which really conveys the message loud and clear. You must observe mitzvahs that you imagine, in your mind, you think that this is a mitzvah color. No, no, don't treat it like a mitzvah color, because it's your imagination that has designated it as such. In fact, it may not be a mitzvah color at all. That's the message of the Mishnah in Perke Ovis, that there's no such thing as a mitzvah color. The Rambam is teaching us that in truth, to be perfectly frank, ain mitzvah kalois. There is no such thing as a mitzvah that is insignificant. Elo yesh there are mitzvahs, we know what they are, that people imagine are not so significant. The fact is, the reality of the situation is that every mitzvah is more precious than gold. The ein aroichlahen, you can't value them. You can't be the one who takes a look at a mitzvah and you looks at it through a magnifying glass or, or jeweler's loop and says, that mitzvah, is, it's not such a good one. That's a low-grade mitzvah. But it's only the other mitzvahs that I think are important. You know, everybody's got their pecking order of which mitzvah they consider to be important. There's no such thing. The Rambam is telling you that the Mishnah in Pirkei Ovis is teaching us an important lesson. That mitzvah kala and mitzvah chamura are one and the same. They're exactly the same. Every mitzvah has equal status. We find this very clearly in a, in a Gemara in Brochus, Tafav Amad Base. One of the people in the Base Medrash was talking to Rabbivi, the son of Abaye. There are others who say that the conversation was um, to Rabbivi, the son um, that Rabbivi spoke to Rav Nachman by Yitzhak. Either way, there is this conversation that's going on in the Beis Medrash that was recorded, and we have it in Maseches Brochus, Tafov Amud Beis. My Krum Zulus Livne Adam. It says, Krum Zulus, you know what Krum is? You, know, you can know that word uh, in, uh, in Yiddish, but what does Krum actually mean? Krum means, in this context, vileness, something disgusting. Krum zulus livne adam, that which is vile is exalted by people. What does it mean? That's what the Hahum Merabonan asked of Bivi Barabaye. Omale, to which the response was, Elu devarim sha'oimdim barumay shal oilam. These are the most important things of ne adam mezalzalin bahem. And people just mistreat them, they don't take care of them, they don't take an interest in them, they have contempt for them. They disparage them. There is no, we cannot use the human relationship with mitzvahs as a way of measuring the importance of those mitzvahs. Levein erchon ha'amiti to their true value. They are mitzvahs which which are treated as krum. They are treated as vile, as disgusting. That's how people imagine them to be. They're not important. Who cares about them? Let somebody else keep them. Let somebody else treat them with respect. But they are disdained by people. 
Barumay Shel Olam. These are the ones that may be, possibly, the most valuable ones of all, and we're going to see this explained. Continues the Mikdash Halevi, Me'ato. Poshutu varu madua mavticha toyoschar otsum varov al oison mitzvois kalois. Now we understand why at the beginning of Parshas Ekeb the Torah promises us in the mouth of Moshe Rabbeinu that those mitzvahs which are considered to be kalois or considered to be insignificant are the ones which are worthy of great reward. When of course we're not talking here about mitzvahs which are kalois, which are insignificant because we've just heard there is no such thing. There is no such thing as a mitzvah kala. It's just something that we refer to as a mitzvah kala, even if it's only in our own minds. As the Gemara says, there are mitzvahs which are but people treat them as ah, nothing, not that important. In fact, they disparage them and have contempt for them. Every mitzvah, whether it is one which you think is significant, or whether it's one which is significant, but you've decided isn't. Every one of them, the schar for those mitzvahs, specifically the ones that you would imagine are unimportant, those are the ones which have an incredible schar more than you could ever imagine. As the Psukim describe at the beginning of our parsha, the Torah is teaching us a great lesson. There is no such thing as a mitzvah kala. And in fact, if you invest energy into the ones you imagine are mitzvahs kalais, then you will get incredible schar. This is a very important lesson for all of us to learn. It's creates a great responsibility for each and every one of us. Each one of us has to look deeply, delve deeply into our perceptions, our activities, what we do, everything about the way we relate to the activities of our lives. And now we have to work carefully weigh up how do we relate to all the mitzvahs? You're a Shema Shabbos? Obviously, you think Shabbos is very, very important. Are you somebody who, is, uh, who makes sure that you have no chometz in your house on Pesach? Well, obviously, you think that chometz is a very chosh of a mitzvah to make sure that you, are, you have no chometz in your house on Pesach. How about in your business practices? Are you always 100% honest? You're scratching your head, you're thinking, well, maybe, maybe occasionally somebody gives me a bit of extra change in the shop. And I think to myself, it's not so important to give them back that extra quarter. Or sometimes, you know, they undercharge me in the store because they didn't notice that I had a certain product in my basket and they didn't click it with a clicker. And, uh, and the barcode didn't come up and I'm not paying for it. It's not so important. What's the difference if they get the extra dollar or five dollars? Not such an important thing. Uh, it says in the Torah, Le signo, if you're not allowed to steal. That's not called stealing or that's not what it means by stealing when it says you shouldn't steal in the Torah. Suddenly you're making cheshboinus. That's not such an important mitzvah. By the way, you could do the same with Shabbos. There could be people who think, I, listen, I keep Shabbos 95%. But when it comes to certain aspects of Shabbos, I just can't. For example, I need to put 
face cream on my face on Shabbos. Uh, what are you talking about? It's one of the 30 Amalokas. You can't put cream on your face on Shabbos. You're not allowed to do that. No, I, I have to do it. I, or everything else, like I've never cooked on Shabbos. I've never been in a car on Shabbos. I've never lit a fire on Shabbos. Cream on my face, what do you want me to do? I need to do it. It's very, very important. There is no such thing as a mitzvah kala. There is no such thing as an insignificant mitzvah. Find, hone in on what it is that you consider your mitzvah, a mitzvah kala. That is your avoider. That is what you have to work on because that is exactly what Rashi is talking about at the beginning of the parasha. That is something that you are dosh with your akev, with your heel. That's something that you squeeze and crush into the ground because you've decided it's not important. Making sure that you give back any extra change, that's not such an important thing. I can give you another 10 examples. I think that every one of you that's watching this video or listening to this podcast can in their own life imagine what it is that they've decided based on their own cheshbonus, what is a mitzvah kala. That's your mitzvah to work on so that you get all the things that are promised at the beginning of Parshas Ekev. Are there mitzvahs that you kind of have contempt for, that you disparage, that you don't consider to be that important? Are there mitzvahs that you don't uh, consider to be significant enough to take any notice of and make sure to do them properly? If there are any such mitzvahs in the course of your day-to-day life that you do or don't do properly because you don't consider them important, you imagine that they are mitzvahs. That's exactly where you have to begin your spiritual journey and your spiritual work. That's the place where you need to focus on. That is your weakest link. You have to make sure that you observe properly and in every possible way, with every chumrah, I should add, those are the mitzvahs that you have to work on yourself with. Because those are the mitzvahs which in your particular example, in an individual assessment, if we were go through an audit of your life, that is the mitzvah that is going to come up. That's the flashing red light that's going to be on your report if you were ever audited. That's the the thing that's most important for you to ensure that you have the perfect relationship with Hashem. And if indeed all of us were to take to heart the words of the Mishnah, and make sure that we observe a mitzvah kala in our own minds, like we do with a chamura. Of course, that's a mitzvah. I would always, I've never eaten bacon in my life. I would never, ever eat pork. You mad? If you treated every mitzvah like whatever it is that is your particular chumra that you've decided is the most important mitzvah on the planet, if you keep every mitzvah like that, there's no doubt that you will merit all the incredible blessings, the haftochis and the promises, that the Torah promises if you listen to them, if you observe them, if you take them seriously. That's Dvatora number one. Let's move on to Dvatora number two. 
So again, the same pasuk, if you listen to these mitzvahs, you do them, says the pasuk, Hashem Hashem, so how do we translate the word shamar? Shamar is shmira, shoimer, we know what that means. It kind of means God, but it means that observe, you know, we say shmira Shabbos, somebody does shomer Shabbos, it doesn't mean they're going to guard Shabbos. It means they're going to observe Shabbos. Hashem will observe, will keep, will make sure to stand by his promise to you, his promise, sorry, to the Avais HaKadoshim, to the uh, forefathers, the ancestors of the Jewish people, Avraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov. Says Rashi, What does the word Shomer actually mean? That's what we're going to talk about now. So the Mikdash Halevi, we can have a slightly, a slightly different way of looking at the Pasuk than the version which Rashi gives us, which is the version I just gave you, which is observe, observe the covenant that God had made with the, with the Ovois. And to say that the word Ushmartem, that Hebrew word, what does Vashomar actually mean? What does it mean? It means expectation and waiting. Listen. Remember Yosef, Joseph had dreams? And what does it say? What did Yaakov, the last word in that parasha about Yosef's dreams, what does it say that Yaakov Avinu did? And Yaakov Avinu was Shomar, this thing, this, these two dreams that Yosef had come up with. Well, Shomar, in that context, cannot possibly mean guarded or observed. So what does it mean? Rashi says, He was waiting expectantly for when it would happen. In other words, it was there, maybe at the back of his mind, maybe at the front of his mind. Shomar Esadovar. He was waiting, he was expecting it to happen. It was something that he realized was real, and he, he put it there, knowing that he didn't have to talk about it. Shomar Esadova, he's waiting for it to happen. Okay, that's what the word Shomar might mean in this posuk. If we explain the words to mean that, there are people who are not proactive mitzvah observers. I mean, if you've got no choice, I'll keep the mitzvah. I'm not saying you're a sheva al but you're not quite somebody who's running, who's reason umagdimim le mitzvah. You're not running to do mitzvahs, but you'll do the mitzvahs whenever the opportunity really arises. Elo, mamtin umabatsape, mosai tova, mitzvah lidevi kaima. Some liyodai. You know, when, when would the mitzvah come? Okay, I mean, listen, somebody literally, ha you know, handed me a mitzvah, put it in my lap. Oh, okay, I'll observe it, of course. But you're not proactively chasing after mitzvahs. You know what? It's, it's a little bit transactional here. That's what the Pesach means. If you're only somebody who's so you observe the mitzvahs when they happen to come up, 
You know what? Hashem's going to do exactly the same. He's going to be our Eshagam HaKadosh Baruch Mitzidu Eloh Yistapek Matan Tzchari Eloh Yamtim V'yitzape Lahanik Lo Yitzchar Toiv You know what? There's a yin and there's a yang. There's a, an action and then there's a reaction. Hashem is a kind of midor keneged midor relationship. If we are proactive in terms of the way we observe mitzvahs, in our approach to Hashem, then guess what? Hashem is going to be proactive. That's what it means. For your Ekev Tishmu'un, if it's Ushmartem, then it will be Vashomar Hashem. But if it's not Ushmartem, then it will be much stronger. It will be immediate, and all of the brochas will come on an immediate basis. Continues the Mikdash Halevi in Vatera number three. He focuses on the word Mishpatim. The Torah really defines and describes in the most detailed uh, uh, version that you can imagine. The incredible benefit, the reward. That the Jewish people will get if they observe the Mishpatim. What's Mishpatim? Mishpatim is, is what we would refer to as common law, ordinary things that we all understand. You're not allowed to steal, you're not allowed to kill, you have to have business practices that mean that, there's, that uh, people are happy with each other and they conduct themselves in an honest fashion with integrity. That uh, all of the things that you may, if you cause someone damage, that you must pay them, that's mishpotim. That's the ordinary um, rules that govern a society. None of the ritual laws that, for example, keeping kosher is a chayk. It's a ritual law. It's not something that you can explain as because no, there's plenty of people in the world that don't keep kosher, but they do keep the common laws that one expects a person to keep, you know, that the govern society. So all of the rewards that are being promised at the beginning of Parashas Ekev all refer to, are all with reference to Mishpatim. As we heard before, we read, we read through all the Psukim. Says the Mikdash Alevi. That's a little bit fascinating. It's a little bit interesting. It's more than a little bit interesting. It's actually confounding. How is that possible? Why would it be that all of these wonderful rewards that are being promised at the beginning of Parsha Seikev are deliberately targeted to mishpotim, to laws that are the ordinary laws that govern a society? Wouldn't it have been more appropriate to offer this as a reward to people who observe the rather less um, logical laws that exist in the Torah, the laws that we consider to be chukim? I mean, there's, there's many of those chukim that we can come up with a reason for. And uh, if you learn through Sefer HaChinuch, uh, um, you'll see that every one of the mitzvahs has some, some kind of logic behind it. Uh, some more, some less, uh, you know, but chukim in and of themselves are mitzvahs that if you never kept them, they're not going to affect your day-to-day -day human life. So surely it would be a more, more appropriate, says the Mikdash Alevi, to offer these incredible rewards to those who observe chukim, mishpotim, I mean, one would expect people want to live in a society which is governed by the rule of law. So chukim, 
אשר שמירו סום קושי יוסף אשר טעמם אינו מובן לנו. It's much harder to observe חוקים, because we don't really understand why we are observing them. ובאשר מלחמת היצא לגביהם גדול וחזוקו בהרבה. And the fact is that the Yetzer Hora has a much easier time in a sense and therefore is going to go much tougher on us when it comes to Chukim because it's much easier to convince a person that keeping kosher is a waste of time than it is to, 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 to tell a person that stealing from somebody, to going around and breaking to people's homes is, uh, is a bad thing. It's self-evident that a society where there's a breakdown of law and order is not a good society. Everybody knows that. We, you know, it's, uh, the Mishnah says, if it wouldn't be for the fact that we had Shlomo Shalmalchus and that we had courts and that we had police, there would be a complete breakdown of society and each and every person would be ready to consume the other. That's the, that's the language of the Mishnah. Would completely consume another person. Would be the law of the jungle. So that we all understand. But we may not understand why it's so important to keep some of the more obscure laws of Shabbos. Or some of the more obscure laws of, uh, you know, of uh, Yom Tov. You know, why do we need to fast on Yom Kippur? I'm going to dove much better on Yom Kippur if I don't fast. So why do I need to fast? Fasting doesn't make any sense to me. And I know people who don't fast on Yom Kippur. Nothing happened to them. Lightning never struck them down. Whereas I know people who've committed a crime and they went to jail. So... In a sense, it, it's uh, puzzling, says the Mikdash Alevi, that these incredible rewards are being promised to those who observe Mishpatim. Surely it should have been Chukim. The Nir Eloima comes up with a profound, it's actually a sublime Dvatur, this one. I know that you're going to repeat it because it's so amazing. Shapsukim halolu medabrim al tekufas ikvasa de Meshicha. You hear the word there, ikvasa, ekev, says the Mikdash Alevi. Do you know when this Posig is talking about? It's not talking about when the Jewish people went into the Promised Land immediately after Moshe Rabbeinu died and Yeshua took over. No. By your ekev tishmun, there will be a time of ikvasa de Mashiach, at the end of time, at the end of days, when the Messianic era is almost upon us. Ba'onu nesunim kayoim. That's the era in which we're, we're all living. We live in that period of Ikvasa de Mashiach, with the end of days, the end of time. Bitkufaseinu. It's our time. It's in our era. It's in our generation. Tashenifritzu kol hagadorim v'cholas yogim. We live in a time where there's no red lines, and there's no law, and there's no order, there's no what we used to call, you remember that word, normal. There's no such thing as normal. The new normal is, there's no normal. That's the time that we live. All the things which were the accepted norms, which everybody agreed was that this is the way it should be. This is the way a person should lead their lives in order for them to be healthy, in order for them to be spiritually healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy. These were the things which were accepted for millennia. This is the way it should be. But today, it's like a choik. There's no such thing as normal law. That which was considered normal 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, is no longer normal. It's, in fact, it's abnormal to be normal. And therefore, it's like a chayk to observe a normal law and to say that I want to observe a mishpat, a chayk. 
a mishpot, because a mishpot has become like a choik. Gam hamuskomoi saburois biyoise. Those things within society which were fully accepted, there was no part of it which wasn't accepted. Hagyonus biyoise, things which made perfect sense, it was logical, everybody knew it made sense. Hamiskablois biyoise aladas, things which ordinary people say, you know, this is what makes, I know, I know that I've got Yetzirah to do something which I shouldn't do. I know it's wrong. Today there's no such thing as I know it's wrong. Whatever used to be wrong is now right. And therefore those people who say it's wrong, they're wrong. All those norms have been shattered into thousands of pieces. And the people of our generation don't observe the laws which make the most sense and which kept society together, whole, complete, structured, normal, for such a long and extended period of time. That's the era in which we live, in the period of Ikvaser to Mashiach. Al-Kain, and therefore, Be'yomeinu onu in these days, Gam ha-mishpotim nechshavim kechukim. Even mishpotim are considered chukim. That's what this posuk is talking about. Shekain ha-nisoyon ha-koshe ha-koruch it's difficult to maintain and sustain the type of life which would have been considered ordinary a generation or two ago. Nowadays, that's considered very difficult. We find ourselves under attack from every direction. Therefore, it's no different to keep what we consider to be mishpotim. It's no, it's no less difficult than keeping the chukim. In the same way as I might have said that it makes no sense to fast in Yom Kippur, so I may as well eat all of those mishpotim, which used to be the ordinary and the accepted, are now no longer accepted. By observing those mishpotim, which are now like chukim, we are worthy of such great reward and such great merit. And that's what the Posuk is telling us. If, if, says Hashem, through Moshe Rabbeinu, that even in the time of Ekev, you observe the Mishpotim, you observe the, these laws, which of course all of you understand as being perfectly ordinary and normal, that govern a society, make sure it functions smoothly. At the end of time, at the end of days, in the merit of conducting yourselves in that way, you will be worthy and merit the greatest reward in this world and in the next world. Much more than in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu and in days gone past. What an unbelievable insight into the word Ekev, another way of looking at that word. Let's move on to the final Dvar Torah. You know what's going to happen? It's going to be the end of time. Uh, sorry, it's going to be the time when you embark on the 
conquest of the promised land. You're going to go into Eretz Yisrael, it's now Eretz Canaan, and you're going to be successful. It's, it's guaranteed, says Moshe Rabbeinu. You're going in there, obviously you're not being sent in there to, to lose in battle. There may be that you'll lose the battle. You'll definitely win the war. You will take possession of the land of Canaan. It's going to become Eretz Yisrael. It's going to become the land of the Jewish people. You shouldn't imagine that the reason why that you're going to be victorious against your enemies in Eretz Canaan is You know why? Because I'm such a righteous person. That's what you're going to say to yourself. You know why Hashem gave it to me? I'm so worthy. I'm such a worthy individual. I am a member of the Jewish people and that makes me superior. And that's why I became the new owner of Eretz Yisrael and all the old nations have been thrown out. That's not the reason. Do you know why you're getting Eretz Yisrael? Do you know why you're taking possession of the promised land? Because of the Rishas Hagoyim, it's because of the evil of the people who are currently inhabitants of that land. That's why you are taking possession of the land. Don't imagine it through your merit. Always imagine it's because the other team was not worthy of staying there. And now we're going to look in, into that in much greater detail. The Torah wants to stress to the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu wants them to know, wants to make sure they have a full understanding, but even without any equivocation, and once and for all, the reason that they are taking possession of the land is not because they are so wonderful and so special, but because the people that they are expelling or getting rid of from within the land of Canaan, they are simply not worthy. They're evil, they're the worst that they can be, and therefore they are being dispossessed of the land in favor of you. But not because you're so wonderful, but because they are much less wonderful than you, or much less worthy than you. The next posseg, this was posseg Dalad in, in Perik Tess. Posseg came, posseg Vov continued, and they keep on repeating the same idea. What does it say? It's not because you're so special or so righteous or because you've done the right thing that you are taking possession of Eretz Yisrael. Again, you, they are being dispossessed because they are so wicked. There's another reason, because Hashem made a promise to your ancestors, Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov, and that's why you're getting the land. But don't imagine it's because of you. Don't march in there with your chest out and your nose held up high. Nothing to do with that. The Yodaton, you should know, just in case they didn't get the message the first two times, the third Pesach says exactly the same thing again. And you should know, it's not because you're so special, so righteous that God is giving you this wonderful land, so that you can take possession of it. Because you are a stubborn, difficult, inflexible nation. So there's a message here in this that we're going to focus on which we're going to get to, we're not going to get to it quite yet, but you're going to see in a, in a few minutes that this Amkshe Oyrath plays a key role in the character 
of the Jewish people, both in terms of the fact that it stands in their way, it stands in our way, we're part of the Jewish nation, and also because it's a great platform for achievement. So listen to this. The Kantrichim Anulahovim, we need to understand. Why, why is it so important to know this detail of why it is that the Jewish people are taking possession of the land? They're taking possession of the land because of the Rishas Ha'amim and because of the bris between Hashem and the Avos. That's the reason, two reasons that are given. It's not because you're so special. That's not why you're getting it. Why is it so important for the Jewish people to know that? Why does the Torah say and repeat and repeat again that the Jewish people is not taking possession of the land because they're so special, because of their achievements? But only because of the uh, wickedness of the nations uh, from whom God will dispossess the land in our favor. Because ultimately, who really cares what the reason is? At the end of it all, the end of it all, what's going to be the maskona here? What's going to be the, the final chapter is the Jewish people took possession. Why? Who cares? You can have analysis if you want. Analysis have then. Why are we being told in advance that the reason you're getting it is because you're not special, but because they're terrible, and because it was promised to the Ovois. Whatever the reason is, it will be. The main thing is God is telling you you're going to take possession of it. Later on, if you want to write a few books about it, the rise and fall of the people of Canaan, you can say that it was because they were so wicked, not because the Jewish people were so great. The Nir Elayma answers the Mikdash HaLevi, had the land of Israel, Eretz Yisrael, which had been Canaan, been given to the Jewish people because of their righteousness, because of their own merit and achievements, this would have been a final thing. This would have been just the way it was going to be. Absolute, no conditions, forever and evermore, until the end of time. Why? Because once you're given something, let's say you go into a shop and you buy something. You pay over the money and you take it into your possession. And later on, you become very poor. You don't have any money anymore. Nobody can take that thing away from you because you no longer have money. You did pay for it when you bought it. Now you don't have money. If you walked into the shop now, you wouldn't be able to buy it. But it still belongs to you until such time as you're willing to sell it. When it comes to Eretz Yisrael, obviously, we're never willing to sell it. In which case, if we would take it when we had the money to pay for it, it belongs to us, forever and evermore. However, if that's not the case, if we didn't earn it because we paid for it, but because it was given to us for some other reason, because after all, we're an inflexible people, whatever that may mean, we're going to get to it in a minute. But they're not worthy of taking possession of the land. The only reason you're getting it is because you're... You're slightly better than the nations from whom you are taking possession of the land. That's it. That's the reason for it. Not because you could pay for it in your own currency, but because they couldn't keep a hold of it. They inhabited it until now. Now Kashem's taking it away from them. Obviously, it doesn't want it to be empty. You're going to get it. But why? Because they're not worthy of it. And it was promised to your ancestors a long time ago. That being the case, it means it's not permanent. 
You're getting it because it happens to be a vacuum and you're the ones who are filling that vacuum. But at some point, if you're not worthy of filling that vacuum, it can be taken away from you again. It is totally and utterly conditioned on the fact that you will remain better than those nations from whom you dispossess the land. And more worthy than the Gentile nations that surround the land of Israel. If you remain slightly elevated, better than the people who are much worse than you, then you're worthy of retaining it. But if not, if for some reason you sink down to that level, then the land can be taken away from you. Because the condition was not that you managed to pay for it. You didn't take out your credit card and have credit. You know what happened? They didn't have credit anymore. And therefore it now becomes a land that's open to anybody. Having promised it to Avram and Yaakov, you're the ones who've walked in there. But if you're not worthy, if you sink to the same rishas as the nations that inhabited it before you, then it can be taken away. When indeed the Jewish nation went through a great spiritual deterioration, they sank down to the lowest level. Even worse than the status than the level of the, of the Gentiles who had inhabited the land before them. Immediately, they lost their rights to keep a hold of Eretz Yisrael, to keep a hold of the land. And the land spat them out, ejected them from within it. It's important for us to establish a principle here to make this point. We could still ask, You know the Gemara says that Eretz Yisrael was holy and at the time that the Beis HaMikdosh was there, but continues to be holy forevermore. Kitsha L'Shaita, at that particular moment in time, and it's, and it's Kodesh always for all time. We can see that the holiness, the sanctity of the land of Israel never is nullified. Even at a time when the Jewish people is not dwelling in the land. It still retains its holiness. How is that possible? Why would that be? Seeing as we know that there being in the land is not an absolute certainty. It's not mukhlat. It's something which it's t- could be temporary, as we know it was temporary, because we're in Golos. But madregosam haruchanis, it's contingent. Elamusonis madregosam haruchanis, it's contingent, it's conditional on their spiritual level. Matim hoya yoise ilu hoisa kudusha oret betelo mavuteles miyad kasheb ne Yisraelo yemagim lematzav boy lo hayor uimlo. Surely it would make much more sense for the land to sink back into a status of non-holiness when the Jewish people are no longer worthy of retaining their ownership, of being able to remain in Eretz Yisrael. 
from this we can learn a very important principle. Even when the status of the Jewish people in a spiritual sense deteriorates to the lowest possible level. Even when they're no longer worthy of keeping a hold of the land and remaining there as people who are its inhabitants. There is an inherent Kedusha within the Jewish people. What does it mean? Through that, through this, somehow there is within them a core, a kernel of holiness that manages through that to retain the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael. Let's look at another Gemara in Meseches Brochus, this one, Daf Chesomet Aleph, and through that we will have an explanation as to how it's possible. Shom There we see the following story. It's a well known story, it's a beautiful story. It happened once. At one particular point in time, they told Rabbi Yochanan, who was the chief rabbi of the north of Israel, lived in Tavaria. They told him, did you know that there's old people in Bovel? They live in Bovel, there's old people, they're old Jewish people. People who would be considered old age in, in terms of, you know, they're much older than, than one would imagine. They've reached a ripe old age. They live in Bovel. How's that possible? was shocked. He was stunned at this piece of information. He said, it's soiser, it contradicts a posuk in the Torah. But Hashem Mikram that we have a specific posuk in the Torah. Do you know why you're going to be Yerubi Yemeichem Vimeivanechem? Do you know why you're going to live to an old age? Because you'll be Alho Adoma. You're going to be in the land that God promised you and to your forefathers to give to them. That's why there's going to be old Jews, because we still have Eretz Yisrael. So if you're in Eretz Yisrael, then you can live to an old age if you're Jewish. If you live in Bovel, how can you live to an old age? He says, it's a contradiction to the Pasuk. Only the residents of Eretz Yisrael are worthy of reaching a ripe old age. In the end, they managed to calm Rabbi Yochanan down. They explained to him what was going on. He heard that these old people, these Sabi Bavavel, that these old people used to go very early to Shul. They were the first ones in Shul to Daven. And the last ones out of Shul at the end of the day, also Davening, they used to come every day to Shul and they kept the Shuls going. As a result of this, they merited to live an old to an old age. What's going on here? All of the commentaries on the Gemara had a, a bit of a tough time explaining why that managed to pacify Rabbi Yochanan from his original question. His original question was a good question. It says Alho Adoma. They're not Alho Adoma, and yet they're living to an old age. They go to shul early and, and leave late. So what, what's that got to do with it? They're still not Alho Adoma. 
Beis um, Hamedrash. The fact that they go for Shachris and Mariv to the to the shul, that that's why they live a long life. Why would the Ziknei Bavel live to an old age? Simply because they go early and leave late from shul. Benir Eloima says the Mikdash Alevi. From the very beginning of the conversation, Rabbi Yochanan realized that these old people were not actually great scholars. When we said Zekenim, we're using the word Zekenim, but Zekenim has a connotation. Actually, the, the wording of the Gemara, the language of the Gemara is Sabe. What's Sabe? Sabe means old person. Somebody who's old. Zekenim means somebody who's a Talmud Chochem. Hamila Zokein Meramezes Alzeshe Kona Chochma. Somebody who's acquired wisdom. So he's called a Zokein. That's where, that's where the word Kufnun, again Hebrew being this limited language, every root can be linked to another root. Somebody who's a Zokein is somebody who is Kona Torah. But somebody who's a Sabi is just an old person, happens to have reached an old age. It's the only thing it's telling you is that he's reached the age of 70, 80, 90. That's all it's telling you. It's, it's just a matter of counting birthdays. That Rabbi Yochanan couldn't understand. How is it possible that these old people were able to reach such an old age if they lived in Chutz Laaretz, if they didn't live in Eretz Yisrael, despite the fact that they're not al ha'adama, they're not in Eretz Yisrael, that God gave to their ancestors. When he heard that these old people who are not Tamidei Chachamim, they're not scholars, they're not people who even know how to learn, they may never go to a shir, or if they go, they don't understand what's going on. They still come very early to shul, and they're there every morning, they're filling on even before bracha starts. And at the end of Mariv, they're still there, they're saying Tehillim. That's why he understood that they reached old age. Nochodata, he calmed down. Shekein lechoira yipole. Makes no sense. How were these old people able to act in this way? That even though they were so old, physically disabled possibly because of their age, that nevertheless they were the first in shul and the last out? They weren't even Tamid Chachomim, what they're even going for. They're not great scholars. How are they able to sustain their faith? In this important mitzvah. And here we're coming to the key point. We are We're a stubborn, difficult, inflexible nation. That, if you want to know what characterizes the Jewish people, it is this characteristic. We're It doesn't always serve to our advantage, but sometimes it does. In this case, it does. Because we were because we're always stubborn and we're rebellious, and we stand up to God and we don't always listen to what God says, or when something goes wrong, we're immediately complaining. We're misloining him, as we saw in Bamidbar. Nevertheless, this Am Oref that held us back from it, of taking possession of the land in our own merit, because we were always standing in the way of ourselves, 
The only reason we got it is because the Goyim was so wicked. Thankfully, they were wicked. Otherwise, we may never have got it. That same quality, Peshe Osar, Hu Peshe Hitir, the same characteristic that's the one that brings them down is the same characteristic that sustains them and keeps them going. The same stubbornness that doesn't help them in the face of the things sometimes that they have to do. That's the same stubbornness that keeps them doing the things that they're doing long after they might have given up on it. These elderly people who are able to harness this stiff-neckedness, this stubbornness, Hamafienes es Am Yisrael that characterizes the Jewish nation. Dafka lafikim chiyuvim. It's specifically things which obligate them, which you might have thought they would have discarded. What do we need to do? Why do we need to go to Davening for? We don't want to go to Davening. No, I went yesterday, I went last week, I went last year, I went 10 years ago, I went 50 years ago. I'm going to go tomorrow, I'm going to go in five years, I'm going to go in 10 years, I'm going to keep going until I drop. In the end, that same that held them back at the beginning is going to be the that helps them retrieve that, that stubbornness that even after 2,000 years we're still able to say not once a day, not twice a day, but three times a day, every single day. It doesn't matter how long we've not been there. We still have our eyes on Yerushalayim. We still have our eyes on That's a type of stubbornness which is going to help us merit the return of the promised land under the guidance of Mashiach. That's what the Posuk is hinting at by saying, <speaking in Hebrew> not just because the Goyim are not worthy, but because we are so worthy. Worthy through that it's a bottom rung characteristic. Our stubbornness, it's a stubbornness that sometimes doesn't serve us. But in this instance, it serves us very, very well. <speaking in Hebrew> Even if they're in Golis, they're in Bavel. They are considered Bnei Eretz Yisrael. You know why you're Bnei Eretz Yisrael? You went to Shachris this morning. You're going to Mariv tonight. That's why you are a Bnei Eretz Yisrael. That's why you are worthy of returning. That's why when you say Sheyabonah Beis you're not just having a dream. It isn't a dream. It's real. It's a reality. Because you are part of the Amkashe Oyerah. You can live to an old age. Hopefully an age that will see the advent of, of Mashiach. Sheyabonah Beis Hamikdash Bimheira V'yameinu. Amen, the Amen. We'll leave it here.